You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of We Hold These Truths Speak Out. Tonight, we're going to have our founder of We Hold These Truths, Chuck Carlson, talking about a recent interview he had on the RTR Truth Media. And RTR is uh, Resurrect the Republic, and it's hosted by Tom Lacovara Stewart. And the topic was the three ugly faces of world conflict. And we're going to be discussing uh, the three phases of that, the armament lobby, the Federal Reserve, and Christian Zionism. And Chuck describes it as a three-sided pyramid. Chuck, welcome to the show. And how did you come up with that three-sided pyramid? I wanted something that was three-dimensional. And I kind of thought about uh, a pyramid uh, that had only three sides pointing upward, uh, not strictly pointing toward war, but war as where the direction is, and that the sides are dependent upon each other, and that there really aren't any more. You don't need any more sides to this structure of uh, international war that we are involved in constantly. The three sides of our pyramid that we name and talk about are all that it takes to keep the world perpetually in war. And that's exactly what's happened. So we think it's a way of visualizing it. And if we can get other people to think in terms of this pyramid, never mind how many sides it has, but this pyramid, then it will help them to remember and recite what they learn. And uh, so we hope that will happen. So that's how we begin with this. Now, what are the three sides? You've already mentioned them. The one most obvious side, we're not going to waste any of our valuable time even talking about this because it's so obvious we all know it, and that is that we do have a powerful munitions and war machine lobby and a financial powerhouse in this country. It's simply there. We know it's there. Boeing and General Dynamics and Raytheon and hundreds more companies have been built on the need for machines and they produce them. And we know that if you're going to work for those companies, you're going to be in favor of selling those machines. So it doesn't take much imagination to see that you're not going to have the military-industrial complex opposing war very much. There's just going to be a tendency to before it. I don't know if anybody would argue that or not, but we're taking that for granted. And we say this is one side of our three-sided pyramid. The second side of it is the financial side. While the other two sides are not understood very well, but the financial side of the war machine essentially is fronted or is controlled from within by a system of international banks that have been very clearly defined and written about by heroes of our past who basically put up their lives and fortunes and times to study about this war machine of money. And, of course, the purpose of the Federal Reserve System, which is one of the central banks of the world, the biggest one 
used to be the Bank of England, and the Bank of England is actually instrumental in forming our Federal Reserve System back in 1913. And this system of financing has essentially financed every war that we've ever been involved in since 1913. That includes World War I, World War II, the Eastern Wars of Korea and Vietnam that you and I remember, and then on into the new generation, the wars in the oil-rich Middle East, which have consumed our thinking since maybe even about 1980. So the side of the pyramid that supports uh, wars and provides the money needed for the wars is produced by the central banking agencies of the world, and ours is called the Federal Reserve System. Now, we're not going to talk much about that tonight. We have spoke of it a little in the past, and we'll come back to it, because it's terribly important that people understand it. But we will just mention a couple of facts about the Federal Reserve System. And the first and most important fact to know is that it is not part of our government. It never was federal. There has never been any ownership of the Federal Reserve System by the United States government or our taxpayers. The entire funding, all of its uh, buildings, all of its uh, 12 big structures around the country, the, the 12 branch banks of the Federal Reserve, which are all subservient to the New York Fed, by the way, but they all have leaders. They're all appointed by politicians. And we're supposed to believe that because our president appoints the presidents of these 12 banks and some other figures too, then basically our government somehow controls what goes on there. Well, we want to make it absolutely clear that we believe and we think there is overwhelming proof that's undeniable that uh, this just isn't the case. They're privately owned, privately controlled by huge names like the Rothschilds and the Kuhn Loeb Company and other mega banks, world banks around the world. So when there is some reason for a war in the minds of the central bankers, they have the ability to create the money out of thin air in order to get the war started. And then after they're started, they find ways to tax us and to drain us to pay for the wars. And usually the war is some cover-up for some other action that's going on. So the Federal Reserve System is the engine of war. The before mentioned arms industry provides the hardware that you need in order to make sure that we always win. And then the third and most significant and most important to us side of the pyramid, the third face, and the, by the way, the pyramid couldn't exist without this third face holding up the other two faces. They all hold up each other. So that third faction is what We Hold These Truths is all about. We are all about talking about how Christians have been led into doing the work of these other two factions in this three-sided pyramid pointing toward war. And Christians make up in the case of our current president, some 83% voted for him. And the Christians are the voting faction that keeps this system functioning and running and makes it impossible for us to get rid of the Federal Reserve System, which, of course, is something that 
that I think you and I would probably advocate is getting rid of the Federal Reserve System so that our system is controlled by our politicians, bad as they are, at least they have to be reelected each period of time. So that's basically a long answer to your question about the pyramid, Craig. Well, it's it's interesting, Chuck, as you, you mentioned the pyramid, getting a visual image of these three pieces trying to pull together. And it's it's like a very unstable house of cards. And like you said, each side needs each other to exist. Otherwise, the thing collapses. I think of uh, Wizard of Oz with a, who's the man behind the curtain that's putting the glue and the cracks to keep this thing together from falling down. And And what I hear you saying is basically that the... Christian Zionists are basically a war party, that they're supporting the wars, and that you have the media on board with all this, getting the the rest of the people enthused for war, and presenting the propaganda to keep this going, so that the Christian Zionists and those influenced by the, uh, the media support the politicians who get the money from the central banks, and it funnels over into the war making machine. So how specifically do you want to educate the Christian Zionists that being a Christian, you're not supposed to be for war? Well, I think that's the first thing that we all need to think about. No matter what our background is, or no matter what we've said or done in the past, who we voted for, or how we thought, we need to think now that if we are God's people, uh, we should pay a little attention to what Jesus said about war. And the truth is, he didn't say anything about any wars. Jesus' words were all about peace. And I think, without exception, I don't know of any cases where Jesus ever advocated any kind of violence against anyone. So what really happened is that these other two sides of the structure, particularly the the big money side, very carefully thought out how they could get control of enough of the public so that they wouldn't get thrown out. In other words, there have been movements by a number of people, such as Congressman Ron Paul, to abolish the Federal Reserve System. If the Federal Reserve System was indeed abolished, there would be no more possibility of concocted wars. So the people that run these mega banks, these international banks, are very conscious of of keeping a public group out there, a faction that's large enough and strong enough and devout enough to keep the system going. And that is the Federal Reserve has worked toward, and it's the people that it's influenced, its agents, have gone after Christianity because they have long recognized that you just can't have a system of war if you don't get some of the Christians to support it. And so that's what they have done. The movement for Christian Zionism, uh, by the way, that's a word that's brand new. It wasn't even used 30 years ago. There was no such word. But uh, the way we see this, or the way Chuck Carlson sees this, is that back in 1948, the powers that be that controlled the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve Bank controlled the world. The war had just ended, there was poverty and disaster everywhere, and this power was enormous. Uh, They also recognized that there was a huge hidden oil power in the Middle East that had hardly been discovered, but uh, Adolf Hitler had actually used Middle Eastern oil to keep his operation going. 
And uh, the smart people understood that the future of the oil business was not in Texas, but it was in Saudi Arabia. So we then had the creation of a new state called Israel. Israel, of course, didn't have a land called Israel. There had been ancient Samaria and Judea, the two provinces that were the Abrahamic provinces eventually. And the idea was that these were called Palestine at that time. They were occupied by the present Palestinian people. And the United States and the British powers of the central banks of England, the big winners in the war, simply moved over a million Jewish war refugees to Palestine, forced them into a residence there, and then went about the business of taking over the then state of Palestine. And uh, that was done in a war that uh, some of us can actually remember, 1948. American-backed forces of the new state that called itself Israel simply took over the land and drove out the Palestinians as best they could and forced them into what the situation that they're now in, where they only own a sliver of the land in the Middle East. But the purpose of the movement was a war movement from the start aimed at controlling the Middle East and the Middle East oil. And uh, the reason we know that that was the plan is that's exactly what's happened. As the years have rolled by, Israel has become a military power, a vast, huge, uh, compared to everyone else there, a huge military power, and threatening to everyone and capable of basically destroying any of the other countries in the Middle East if they wanted to. There's probably a reason why Israel doesn't come out and annihilate Iraq or Iran or Lebanon, although they have recently bombed all of them. And that is that they want to keep their image up as a loving, peaceful people who are being threatened every day of their existence by their neighbors. So they play the image of the innocent uh, victim who's surrounded and constantly threatened by the evil Arabs all around them. And at the same time, they are then systematically helping to destroy other governments in the Middle East. Iraq and Iran are the immediate threats. So the Federal Reserve System and the international banking system together basically created the state of Israel out of stolen territory that they took from the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. Now, Greg, I'll let you tell me where the Christians fit into this. Well, Chuck, before we get into that, I wanted to bring up something that your host on RTR mentioned. You were talking about Christian Zionism, and he called it Christian Talmudism. And I'd never heard that phrase before, and I thought that was was very interesting, because uh, one of the lines in the Talmud is if uh, your enemy comes to kill you, it says, rise and kill him first. And this rise and kill first is the modus operandi, if you will, of this whole Zionist agenda. And so it's, it's done with intrigue, sabotage, uh, murder, you name it, all across the board from the original Israeli terrorist groups like the Stern Gang, the Ergon, and that out of that came the IDF. So the plan all along from Herzl on 
was to totally eliminate the Palestinians from the land that the Jews at that time designated as their homeland, in which they can't, they can't support that anyway, but that's another whole issue. But they decided that they were going to take Palestine and make it a Jewish state. And to do that, they had to eliminate the Palestinians. And so they did it by terror. First of all, they tried buying the land from the Palestinians. That worked a little bit because the Palestinians were very hospitable. They welcomed the new people coming in, especially after the pogroms in Russia and what was going on in, in Europe. And so the Jews came to Palestine. They were buying the land. But the buying the land wasn't fast enough for the hardcore Zionists. They'd only got to about 6% of the land, and they wanted the, the whole enchilada. So that's where the terrorist groups came in. And instead of using legal means, they started going into terrorism and forcing people, murdering people, blowing up homes, businesses, and burning fields, and on and on and on it goes. And I bring that up because it's this whole idea of rise and kill first and that's what we're seeing now with the rhetoric against Iran and all the, the war effort that the United States is being sucked into to support this greater Israel agenda. And what is so sad, Chuck, and that's, that gets back to the church, because the church has always had a soft spot for what the Crusaders did to the Jews, some of the atrocities, the church in the Middle Ages, you could even look at the church in Germany during World War II, turned a blind eye to the, the sufferings of the Jewish people. And so I think because of that guilt, they look to the scripture and say, oh, we've got to support these Jewish people because look at all the bad things we've done to them throughout the years. So there's kind of a Christian guilt, if you will, that motivates it. There's also bad interpretation of scripture that justifies this. And of course, the Zionists just take all these things and build on it to make this movement that it looks very good on the outside. And I think that's what it's gone into the churches is like we've talked about it before, precepts, ministry, Bible study, fellowship. They present the Zionist agenda, that interpretation of scripture, which supports this Zionist card that holds up one of the sides of the pyramid. So it's being indoctrinated into the churches through this method. So what got me involved with We Hold These Truth is realizing this does not look like Jesus. And you said at the beginning, you can't look to Jesus and see where is the support for armed intervention. It doesn't exist. Absolutely, Craig, and that's very well said. And you quoted the man who used the, the word Talmudism in place of scripture. And of course, as you said, the Talmud is a new book that the Jewish people have come to use as they turned aside the Old Testament and the studies of Abraham and so on and have come to a more modern study uh, that justifies killing, among other things. Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the current president of Israel, is a politician, and he's got a big mouth, and he occasionally gets out of line and says something that, that's ungodly that he shouldn't say. And recently he was quoted uh, by an absolute proper source, he was correctly quoted, is saying, if you think somebody is going to kill you, you go kill them first. That was his attitude about war. And he was using that to justify the fact that Israel had bombed three countries. And so this is the attitude of a country that has been used as a war machine. You can't be used as a war machine, recruit your men in the service year after year, have them carry out secret missions where they actually kill people. 
a bombing raids on people that can't fight back, uh, which nobody in the Middle East really has the ability to fight back, and maintain a moral standard where people love their brother and turn the other cheek, as Jesus said we need to do. So the state of Israel can't do those things because it's been set up and structured as a military machine in the middle of the oil-rich Middle East. Uh, Now, coming back to why Christians in church would support this, there has been a huge effort to warp and restructure the Christian Bibles in order to make it appear that the state of Israel is ordained by God, that in 1948 God put them in there, not the uh, American central banks and and the English central bank, that they have always owned this land, even though they hadn't been there for 2,000 years, and that uh, they were God's chosen people to hold this land. And this is the essence of Christian Zionism. Now, tonight, we don't have time to go into the study on how the Christian Zionist writers, before the word Christian Zionist was even used, before this word was used, they were called dispensationalists and they followed after words of Cyrus I. Schofield. And in the Schofield Bible, there are hundreds of pages of footnotes that redefine all kinds of ideas that we have taken as Christian notions through the years, and they've redefined them to favor the political state of Israel. And this is what the dispensational movement came to follow and what has then become Christian Zionism. And the support for the three-sided pyramid that comes from the Christian side is there because people who are believers in Christ have come to accept these notions that have been fed to them about the state of Israel being politically put there by God and therefore must be supported in any cause. And thus from this, then, the word Christian Zionist, Zionist meaning You're a Christian, but you are first and last also for the state of Israel. I want to quote one of these statements in the Bible that has been changed, and I want to read to you how the Christian Bible has been subverted by these writers who have have written these numerous Bibles. Uh, The one that we talk about the most often is the Schofield Reference Bible. The Schofield Reference Bible was produced in 1909 for the first time and was revised numerous times, one of those being in 1917. And the current edition that I have on my desk is dated 1967. It has the most footnotes and is the most exhaustive. These things have been revised over and over. In the book of Genesis, the 12th chapter, verse 3, is a perfect example of how the Bible has been converted to make it look like it is a real estate contract giving a land to the state of Israel. Genesis 12, verse 3, in your King James Bible would read, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this was referring to and talking about, it's the end of a story about Abraham. And it was talking about Abraham being the great patriarch from whose line came Jesus. And so through thousands of years of Christianity, these verses have always been taken to mean 
that God said he would bless Abraham for producing the line of Jesus, and that this was the first mention of Jesus that took place uh, talking about uh, Abraham way back in Genesis 12, uh, the first book of the Bible. Now, the Schofield reference people came along, and they changed that to make that a land grant, giving a people that never existed at the time called the Israelites, because at that time, the land grant sounds like it was given to the Jewish people, but the Jewish people did not exist at that time. They were called Israelites, and the land that was talked about was Judea and Samaria, which were occupied by other tribes at that time. Here's what the Schofield Reference Bible says about the verse I mentioned, 12.3. Those who honor Abraham will be blessed. It is invariably ill with the people who have persecuted the Jew and well with those who have protected him. For a nation to commit the sin of anti-Semitism brings inevitable judgment. The future will still more remarkably prove this principle. So here the interpreter is saying that he's talking about people that didn't exist at that time called Jews. That word came from Judea thousands of years later. And he's saying that the issue here was blessing Abraham and that Christians need to bless Abraham and the Jews. So this is the first mention, I think the first mention in my Schofield Bible, and there are literally hundreds of pages that restructure and reconstruct things that we have taken for granted we're talking about Jesus to make them sound like they're talking about the state of Israel of today. Mm-hmm. So that's good, Chuck. It'd be interesting to see how that 1967 version, how that compared to the original 1909 versions that were the originals of the Schofield to see how that was changed because if it's, did you say it was 67? Is that your copy? Yes, 1967, my edition. 60, right, 67, that's you know right there at the Six-Day War. So uh, yeah, so that, that, yeah, right at the Six-Day War, and Israel had been in existence at that time for approximately 20 years. So right. As the, as the writer comes along, he wrote about the political state of Israel, and he even talked about anti-Semitism, a notion mm-hmm. that was never even discussed. In- right. Right. So this is a bit of introduction to uh, the notion of Christian Zionism and the way it has influenced people. And we'll hope to have further discussions and classes on this that goes into some detail. And we particularly want to get into the New Testament because we are New Testament believers. And we want to know how the money powers of the world who instigate the wars have managed to warp and change our New Testament by writing footnotes underneath the text of the King James Version of the Bible. And that's exactly what they've done. So uh, we'll hope to get into that in future editions. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up uh, We Hold These Truths for today. We'd like to encourage anyone to go to our website, whtt.org, and see our award-winning movie, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. That's a free viewing that you can do that gets the roots of Christian Zionism, exposes it, and we hope you enjoy it. And we will come back to the story, obviously, about the three pillars of the war effort. Thank you for joining us this evening.